Hello and welcome to the CCF Iowa podcast. You're listening to a message that was part of our Tuesday night worship services that takes place each week on the campuses of University of Northern Iowa, Iowa State University, and the University of Iowa. This year's theme is As You Go. So we'll be taking a look at the book of Acts and we will be exploring how just as God called the early church, he is calling us today to go. And as Jesus ascends into heaven and we're introduced to the Holy Spirit, we're given instructions as we go. So here's a message presented by one of our campus ministers. Welcome back to the CCF podcast. We're going to be continuing our As You Go series with this session entitled As You Go, Be Used, which is going to be taking verse uh, Acts chapter 11, verses 19 to 30, and really focusing in on um, the the main location that's talked about there, the the city of Antioch and, and what it came to be known for throughout history. And... Um, it's kind of a unique set of verses. A lot of Acts, we've been talking through stories and and certain narratives and what does this person mean to the church and what did the church look like during this particular time. And th- this set of verses uh, doesn't really tell that same kind of story, but I thought it was worth emphasizing and bringing out just what exactly um, it is happening here, and, and this feels like kind of the beginning of something significant. So let's get into the text right now, and then let's explore what we're getting into. Starting in Acts 11, verse 19. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them, named Agabus, stood up and threw the whole this through the spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. And the disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. So as I said, <clears throat> this isn't really like a guided story, a specific tale about Um, some people and what they did, or even a specific church, Um, although it does take place in Antioch and tells about the church that develops in Antioch. But it's more just kind of a a capsule of of what is is going on and what is changing about the approach that's taken in Acts. And so we see just from verse 19 that there's a scattering going on because of persecution. Uh, This is the persecution that was started with the stoning of Stephen. And um, at at the time that it started, there was a lot of it that was instigated by Saul. Um, And then Saul becomes a significant person 
to to the church as opposed to the 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 persecutors and so that's kind of a, a cool way of how this story is is turning and then it specifically points out at the end of verse 19 that they were spreading the word only among Jews but then there's this decision made and and we're not even given a reason for it it's just kind of like then there are some people who decided it'd be worth it to tell the Greeks about what's going on and the good news about about Jesus to actually give them the gospel as well and then a bunch of people start turning to Jesus and then the church of Jerusalem hears about it and so they they send in Barnabas and Barnabas is a cool guy like it talks kind of here um, just about how who he was. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Um, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord. Like there's a point in time when Barnabas is described as a son of encouragement. That's like one of the main facets of his character. And, and so to me, it seems like he was a really awesome guy to call to the beginning of this church that that they were already doing things that were right. What they needed is someone who had, who was a son of encouragement, who could just come alongside them and say, like, yeah, God's doing amazing things here. Let's let's keep it up. Let's keep working on it. And and so you see again, just more people that are that are turning uh, to God in in Antioch that are that are believing uh, in the good news about the Lord Jesus. And then Barnabas decides this this is the place this is the right time to bring in to bring in Saul um, and and we're not given uh, in Acts nine it's it's later on when Paul talks about his road to Damascus experience that that he mentions um, specifically that that at that point in time he felt like he was being called of God to to minister to the Gentiles but it's very possible that um, he actually spends you know kind of uh, some time doing discipleship, and then he goes back to Tarsus because he wasn't sure if he'd be welcomed in Jerusalem or other places and kind of felt like he wasn't going to be. And so he went back home to Tarsus. And and, and so he's kind of there continuing to study and prepare for whatever God has in store for him. But I feel like there's he kind of knows that he's supposed to be um, going to the Gentiles. It's just that there's not really anybody in the church that had been doing that yet until this point in Acts 11, and we see it happening in Antioch. And so Barnabas, you know, maybe he was aware of Paul's call, and so he goes, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna go find this guy because this is the guy that that knows that the the reason for for God calling him to be part of us is so that he could reach the Gentiles. So this is the kind of this is the right person." for this kind of place, for this, for this time. And so Barnabas goes and he finds Saul and he brings him to Antioch. And then it says a whole year they spend meeting with the church, teaching a great number of people and, and causing a, a change in the city where the disciples that are there, the Christians that are there are called Christians for the very first time in Antioch. Now, just about every time I've heard somebody preach on this passage, this this verse about being called Christians first in Antioch, they seem to take extra effort to point out that this would have been an insult. And uh, frankly, the, the research that I've put into it, I haven't really found a historical account of it. And even the word, like the breakdown of the word Christian just means like little Christ. That's like the most literal rend- rendering of it. 
is that they were the rest of the people in Antioch were looking at these disciples and saying, all of these people are trying to be like Christ. They're just a bunch of little Christ. And, and again, I'm, I'm not sure exactly how that would be interpreted as an insult. Maybe it was. And, and there's a lot of things about insults that it's just kind of the way they're said. The words themselves could be not as harsh, but if they're said in a harsh manner, then clearly it's supposed to be an insult. That goes a long way of saying that I, what I think is happening here is that the people of Antioch are recognizing exactly what the disciples are trying to do. They're preaching this good news about Jesus Christ, and they're trying to act like him. Huh, that's interesting. These people must be Christians. Little Christ. And so we see this change happening in Antioch. And, and a lot of it grows from these nameless people that the only thing we're given is where they came from originally. It's this men from Cyprus and Cyrene who went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also. And this becomes this huge movement of this particular church in Antioch, so much so that the rest of the people of Antioch are noticing and, and even identifying the the church members, the disciples, in, in a new way, calling them Christians. And then some people come from Jerusalem to Antioch and make this prediction about how there's going to be this severe famine. And so the church does a really cool thing. It says, The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. And so this church in Antioch says, um, if there's going to be this famine, then then the the church in Jerusalem, the, the church that kind of started all of this, the place at the very beginning of our movement, we want to make sure that they're provided for and they're taken care of. So we're going to send gifts, and, and we're going to send it through these guys that we know um, – would be trusted in Jerusalem, um, Barnabas especially. That's why his name comes first. Um, and so Barnabas takes the gift and he takes Saul and says, hey, we're going to go to Jerusalem so that we can give this gift. And I think this also allows there to be a proper introduction of who Saul is to the rest of the Jerusalem church, a place that he was apprehensive about going to before because of his reputation. But Barnabas has has worked with him now for a full year, building up and teaching at, at the Church of Antioch, and now says, I'm going to take this opportunity to take this gift to Jerusalem and also to take Saul, um, because he's making a difference here, and, and he's changing what we're doing. And, and I think the Jerusalem church needs to see and recognize that. And so this just little passage that that would be really easy to overlook is starting to really do some big things to this movement that is now getting to become known as Christianity. And they're being recognized. They're being called Christians. The The church in Antioch is has largely been built through giving the good news, preaching the gospel to Greeks, to Gentiles, to pagans. To, to a group that was almost wholly uh, ignored previous to this point in Acts, as, as the message was generally only brought to Jews. And, and Saul's starting to get recognized. Before he, he takes on his, his new name of Paul, he's starting to get recognized as somebody who could be really important and vital to this particular branch of the movement. 
to to a, a church that's willing to reach out to Gentiles. And so those are kind of the the things that we, that we learn and that are happening just by by looking at the text. Um, but let's dig a little bit deeper. I, I care a lot about history, and 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 also kind of a bit about geography, which is really hard to pass along in a podcast without providing additional graphics. Um, but I'm going to try to describe this as best as I can. See, the the city of Antioch is is in a unique place. Um, in, in a historical sense, but also in a geographic sense. Um, so Antioch is in, um, the ancient city of Antioch is in what is modern day Turkey. There's actually a, a city really close to the original site of Antioch that's more or less called Antioch. It's, it's pronounced slightly different because it's a, a Turkish rendering of, of Antioch of how we would pronounce it. Um, but it, it's really close uh, on the southern border of Turkey, getting back towards the the landmass that is Israel. Um, I, I believe, in modern geography terms, Syria is is kind of the the country that um, borders Turkey there. But still, either way, it's it's along the same stretch of coastline in the Mediterranean Sea that Israel is on. And yet it's way further up north and gets into that uh, landmass that they refer to as Asia Minor in, in their day and age, um, which we just refer to as Turkey now because that's the country that it is. And, and so this is kind of one of those gateway cities. It's one of those places that it's on the coast, so there would have been boats you know, traveling through there and there would have been um, trade going on that way. But it's also like it, if you're coming from Jerusalem – um, and you're trying to get to Rome or or Greece or any you know those any of those kind of places on the road, you're gonna have to go through Antioch at some point in time. Um, it, it's a it's a city where of crossroads of where a lot of different trade routes would have met up a very significant part of helping to to bridge the gap between uh, Europe and and Asia. Um, the Asia minor area and the Middle East, um, down into Africa. Like it's, it's one of those gateway, it's incredibly significant gateway cities to the ancient world. And so there's a lot happening in Antioch. It's, um, it's, it's a city with, with a huge exchange of culture with, with a decent sized population, but a very diverse, population as as there's people from all different areas that would have been trading in this city um, would have been attracted to this city and decided to maybe even live in the city or at least visit it on various different occasions it's a port city and and so um, usually most most port cities most places that are centers of trade are also often known as um, not the the most wholesome cities when you have a lot of people that are just kind of a little bit more transient and going through town um, they, they tend to be places of more ill repute um, which means a lot different things in ancient times than it does now. But if we were to kind of give it a modern parallel, we would kind of think of cities like Las Vegas. And it's not that those aren't places that you can make a very, you know, good home in and decent living in, but they've got, um, they've got a reputation. And, and so people know them, know them a lot more for the, some of the things that are allowed to go on in the city, um, that are viewed as more sinful or, 
you know, bad type things as opposed to just the good things that go on in that city. And so that's kind of the way that Antioch would be viewed. But but I think it parallels really well with our modern day uh, college towns that sometimes they're known a little bit more for their parties and and those kind of things to to take that parallel. Um, but they're also places of, of usually greater diversity than maybe cities around them, especially when we think about, since I'm in Iowa City, when we think about the Midwest, um, some of the most diverse cities in the Midwest, besides the major metropolitan areas, are also college towns because they've got international students coming in and they've got people from different cultures and they've got professors from all different walks of life that have uh, made their home there. And so you've got, again, you've got more diversity in the city. You've got it as a place that it's, it's an exchange of ideas as college students are coming to, to campus and, and being taught various different ideas. And that might be very different than, than what they had learned growing up or where they came from because they've, they're exposed to so many more ideas and different things. Um, that would be kind of the same place, uh, as, as what you would have happening in Antioch. And so one of the, one of the cool parallels that I think maybe we can take away from this story and from the historical setting is that this church in Antioch that's started pretty small and simple um, came because the the people that were involved with it in it were willing to take the gospel to a different group than they were expected to. And they heard God's call and they followed God's call and they reached out to different people than than they were. They reached out to people that weren't like them. They were Jews who were preaching to Greeks. And I think there's something that we can learn from that in, in a similar kind of environment that our, that our college towns, our campus towns are, look a lot like Antioch. And, and so we need to be willing to go out and, and preach the gospel to different groups and, and, and to listen to God's leading and, and to be used by God um, in a significant way, in a different way. And so that's one of the lessons I think we can learn from this, the church starting here in Antioch. But then there's also the historical significance that that Antioch manages to take. In that, when uh, around AD 70, there's there's a really significant historical event that we talk about and kind of refer to as the destruction of Jerusalem. Essentially, the Romans come in to Jerusalem and um, because of some revolts and some other things that have been happening, they decide we're just going to destroy the temple in Jerusalem. We're going to destroy the city. We're going to we're going to kind of you know make an example of of these people here, so that there's less revolts in other places. And so, in eighty seventy, Jerusalem is destroyed. But that's not something that stops the the Christian movement. And so a lot of Christians are driven out of the city, um, and they go into other places. They they also, um, there's a lot of synagogues that were destroyed, and so they don't have the same places to meet in anymore. And there's a lot that starts to change about how the church looks. And one of those changes is kind of the center of Christianity, the most significant city of of Christianity moves from being Jerusalem to being Antioch. And so I mentioned at the the end of this passage about how the church in Antioch um, sends money back to Jerusalem to to help take care of this famine that's going to be coming to the entirety of the of the Roman Empire, the 
the most, you know, kind of more or less the known world for those people. They send the money to Jerusalem because Jerusalem's kind of the head of everything at that point in time. But then around 80, 70, and for the next several hundred years, Antioch kind of becomes the new center, the new place that people look to as this this is where the important thing happens. And, and there ends up being the Bishop of Antioch becomes um, kind of the main person of the Eastern Church. The Western Church is led by the Bishop of Rome, which we later on refer to by the title of Pope. Um, but the Bishop of Antioch is, is as significant to the Church in the East as the Bishop of Rome is to the Church in the West. And so there's a lot of really significant and important things for Christianity that happened in the city of Antioch. And again, it's a reminder that God uses these small acts of, of being used, of listening to his voice and his leading to lead to major world-changing dynamics and things. And, and he grows up this church in Antioch, and they become uh, the major center of Christianity in, in the first couple hundred years of the church. And, and what that makes me think of is, is what is God doing with our movement with our actions on our campuses or wherever we happen to find ourselves. What little things, as long as we follow his leading and his listening, what kind of ripples is that going to make? We don't, we don't have the advantage of history. We don't get to look back on our life um, three, four hundred years after the fact to see the, the difference that we made. We have to live in the middle of it. But if we listen to God, I think our actions can become like just those people from Cyprus and Cyrene that decided, let's, let's tell the Greeks the gospel too. And then that builds up the church in Antioch that becomes the center of Christianity for several hundred years. The other thing about Antioch, I mentioned there's a modern city that's near the original place of Antioch, but what's in the now to this day, what exists in the original place of Antioch is rubble and hills that have buried the ruins of Antioch. And so we know that's where the ancient city was, um, but they really haven't excavated it because it's people's land and there's no reason to do that necessarily. The ancient city of Antioch has been largely forgotten about. It's... Its significance is found in, in what it meant for, for Christianity, for the fact that it shows up as a location in Scripture. Um, it's got some archaeological value, so there's always people willing to dig and explore these ancient places. But it's not really... The city itself has not stood the test of time. But the things done for God in that location have. They matter from a historical perspective. They matter from a church perspective. The church has continued on, even though the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed and, and many of the synagogues were were reduced to rubble. The, the church continued on and it moved to Antioch. When, when Antioch was eventually destroyed, um, I, I believe it happened during the Crusades, the church continued on. It, it moved. It, it's not bound by location. It's not bound by a specific group of people. It, what it's bound by is the Holy Spirit. And he doesn't bind things. He unleashes things. 
And so the church continues to be unleashed on in different areas amongst different groups of people um, because Christians are willing to be used by God to spread that gospel. And so we have a chance to have that historical look, and I think we can be incredibly encouraged by it because we can see that the church keeps pressing on and keeps moving and keeps doing what's been called to do. And, and so... That's why uh, we entitled this session, As You Go, Be Used, because it's really kind of a simple command. Listen to God's voice, follow, be little Christ, do as Christ would do. As you go, be used.